0: You are listening to Paolo DiMarco Podcast with Alan Campbell. Welcome to the Paolo DiMarco Podcast. Today on the show, we are interviewing Prince Lorenzo, but we were doing something a little bit different today. Casey is the one who is interviewing Prince Lorenzo. So welcome. How are you both?
1: Doing great. Thank you, Alan.
0: Yeah, I'm doing great as well. Thank you.
1: Let's just jump right in, Lorenzo. What's the most amazing thing you have ever done?
0: Uh, being born,
1: That's
0: pretty <laughs> amazing, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> I'd,
0: say, I'd say the Absolutely. that the odds of the odds of any of us being born is a miracle. You know, all the uh, different partners everyone had to have to have you. I mean, the odds are are astounding. So that would be the most amazing thing. Um, and then I think personally, I'd say starting my Uh, Charity Animal Aid USA, which is, uh, I'm proud to say, has saved well over 34,000 dogs since we started in 2012.
1: That's fantastic. Thank you. Coming from Italian nobility, where your father is titled as Duke of Bomarzo, Prince of San Angelo a San Polo, Count of Chia and Lord of Antiguliano a Magnano, Why is it that you do not have the same title as you are called Don Lorenzo de Principe Borghese, Roman Noble, Noble of Cornetto, and Patrician of Venice, Naples, and Genoa, and living in the United States, are you referred to as this commonly? How important are titles nowadays, Lorenzo?
0: Well, the titles are handed down from family member to family member. Um, It's essentially a, a piece of paper. So, um, when Pope Paul V was in power, he gave m- my side of the family five different titles. And I guess they started accumulating as well with all the aligned marriages we had. Um, so regarding me, I mean, I'm, you know, I was born in Italy, but I'm the, I'm in the United States and everyone just calls me Lorenzo, um, which I prefer. It's, it's a lot easier than having a bunch of titles in front of it. But I, um, I mean, that's that's the story of it. I just, you know, again, it's these to me, these are just. Titles of historical reference, meaning that the family at one time had had uh, a lot of power in Italy and helped to to make especially Rome what Rome is today, but it doesn't it, you know, it doesn't doesn't give me any power at all.
1: You published a book called The Princess of Nowhere, where your narrative is about Pauline Bonaparte, sister of Napoleon who was married to Prince Camillo Borghese. What is the story behind that book and how is the Borghese family related to French nobility?
0: Uh, The story behind that book is when I was growing up, my father used to tell me stories about Paulina and he had actually seen letters from her to Camillo, which were these really like beautiful love letters. And um, she had a a sort of a crazy past where they were both, both unfaithful um, she was written about a lot in the press back then, and um, I was always fascinated by her story. And then one day, Collins called me after I did a TV show, and they said, hey, we want to know more about your family. Do you have any relative that you want to write about? And I was like, yeah, I've always wanted to write about Paulina, um, and it gives me a reason to do some research and find out more about her, her life. So that's when it all started. And uh, what was interesting is that she, was, she also died on my birthday, which is June 9th. And there's just been some sort of connection there, you know, ever since I can remember, and even when I went to Rome, there's a, there's a Borghese crypt where she's buried and she's buried right next to, you know, my great, great, great uncle or whatever. I don't know, not even that far, great uncle, but, um, and that's when I, I saw her name and that's when I asked my father, what is a Bonaparte doing buried in a, you know, in in a family crypt? And that's when the story happened. That's when he started telling me about the story. And then we went to, Galleria Borghese um, where there's a beautiful statue of Canova and it's Paulina uh, lying on a couch with an apple um, depicted as Venus and it was a very controversial statue at the time because she's topless and um, so I started learning more and more about her and that's you know and I did a TV show and again Harper Collins contacted me and that's sort of gave me the motivation I needed to start writing the book. And that's how it all happened.
1: That's fantastic. And by the way, happy belated birthday. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You have two very successful businesses, Lorenzo, your luxury pet product company, Royal Treatment, and your South Beach Brewing Company, what makes your pet grooming products so unique and what goes into your special custom beers, which have different flavors like South peach, blood orange and strawberry orange.
0: Well, what makes my pet line different is uh, one, it comes from Italy and Italy is known, you know, for not only great food, but actually great cosmetic products because obviously a lot of the cosmetics come from nature. So because of my history with Italy, I decided to have it manufactured there and, I, just, I didn't want just a natural pet line. I wanted uh, many organic ingredients. So I couldn't find as many organic ingredients, at least in the cosmetic side in the U.S., that I could in Italy. So I developed this line, and each each shampoo and conditioner and splits has 700% natural organic ingredients at a minimum. Um, and I created it for my dog, started back in 2002. Um, she had severely dry skin, and I found out it was being caused by her pet shampoo, and traditionally, back then, pet shampoos were made for human skin, and a dog and and, a, and human skin is very different, including the pH level, um, and also the the you know we have porous skin, a dog has non-porous, so it can't really lubricate the way we can. So um, I did a lot of studying at the library at the time because it was really before you would go to the internet to find out everything. And from all my studies, I, I developed a shampoo for dog skin. And then I added all these organic ingredients and launched that product line. So uh, that's the primary difference uh, behind that line. And with the beer line, uh, because I am in Florida, which is sort of the citrus capital of the United States, I wanted to really focus on what Florida is known for, which is, is citrus. So I added orange juice to all my beer formulas. And it's not just juice; it's natural orange juice. Um, and it's not a flavor. And uh, we also have electrolytes in our beers because Florida is extremely hot, especially in the summertime. So uh, I want to try to help combat the dehydration with hydrating people as they drink beer, which, you know, like alcohol has the exact opposite effect. It's dehydrating. So I wanted to sort of balance it out Um, and I wanted a healthier beer option. So my beers are. You know, not as high calorie as traditional beers, even our IPAs, a lower calorie IPA than regular IPAs. And then uh, our strawberry and and peach shandy are GMO and gluten-free and uh, contain the natural juices. So uh, it's hard to make beer different, but that's how I did
1: it. So for both of those um, lines, Lorenzo, the Royal Treatment and the South Beach Brewing, are those available online for both of them? Or is that just specific to one place? How do people get these products from you?
0: Yeah, because um, we were getting so much demand from people outside of Florida, uh, but in the U.S., uh, we did a partnership with a, a company that actually ships our beer across the U.S. And the Royal Treatment as well, you can, you can buy directly online and, and we ship all over the U.S. We don't ship internationally either, either line yet.
1: Okay, great. Well, we'll look forward to you doing that when you do.
0: Uh, um, thank you.
1: You're a man of many traits, including philanthropist, entrepreneur, Businessman, author, and a pilot. Who inspired you to become a pilot, and what types of planes do you fly?
0: I don't really know who inspired me to become a pilot. I just remember as a little kid, you know, a lot of a lot of little boys played with cars and trains, etc. I I always played with airplanes, um, and I would every time I was at the airport, I could name the airplane whether it's a seven forty seven or seven twenty seven. I knew. I knew the type of plane it was. I knew if it was like KLM or TWA or at the time like Braniff Eastern Airlines, I could always tell by the tail, even when it was flying, I could see a little bit of the tail and and I could name the plane and my parents were always fascinated by it. Um, and I used to love just going to the airport and watching planes take off and land. It was an obsession of mine and I always wanted to get my license. I did get my license and love flying. And um, while I was getting it, my, my great aunt, uh, started talking to me and found out that she had been a pilot as well. And then I looked at pictures of my grandfather on my, on my mother's side, who I didn't really know. I, he died when I was young, around seven. And uh, some of the photos I have of him are him standing in front of airplanes. So I think he, he had an obsession too, but um, it just gives you that freedom when you're up, you know, in the air flying, no one can bother you and you're, you're really alone. I, I, I love that. So, um, it's, it, it's just something, um, that I find fascinating. The fact that we can fly is, is, is a great thing. And I want to, I, I, you know, again, ever since I was a little kid, I loved it.
1: And how long have you been flying Lorenzo? When did you get your license? I
0: started, I started actually getting my pod license when I was 16, but I didn't like the instructor. He was a really mean guy. <laughs> um, And then, you know, I was obviously in school and I had a lot of homework to do too. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize I had to study so much for this. So I took some time off and then started started again when I was probably 24. And I believe I got my license when I was 25. So um, a long time, almost 25 years.
1: Wow. Being the founder and president of Animal Aid USA, you are a strong advocate of animal welfare and dog shelters. Why is Animal Aid USA important and how can we help move this forward for those who are new to animal charities and further, what puts a smile on your face when you see your work accomplished?
0: Well, I've always been a dog lover ever since I was a little kid. And, you know, my, we, we always grew up with all different types of pets, but uh, I've, you know, dogs to me were, was what I really loved. And one of the first things I did when I, when I had, you know, the freedom being, um, from out of my parents' home was get a dog you know because they're like no no you're not going to take care of her and we did have dogs growing up but as as we got older uh we didn't anymore as as I went to college but once I got out or actually well I was still in college I got a dog and it and you know and she was just mine and it, it wasn't a family dog it was, it was it was mine and I had this incredible connection with her and she changed my life and I was living in New York at the time and there were all these you know, events, a lot of these pet parties where all these dog runners would go to. And I was invited to, to, to these events a lot. And then I got invited to go at the local um, uh, ac Animal Care and Control of New York. And I went in there and I got a, a tour. They don't allow most people in there. And there's a reason why. And that's because they had cages of dogs in the last row of cages where the dogs are being euthanized that day. And um, I didn't really understand any of this until I actually saw it. And it changed my life seeing these dogs in cages, looking up at me and knowing that I was helpless. And um, that's when that moment I said, "I, I need to do something. And there's no reason that these dogs, one should be in cages or two should be killed because these dogs have done nothing at all, except be born. And the fact that these dogs are being, you know, euthanized is just, a money, uh, it's, it's saving money for these, for these, uh, for these shelters, because each dog costs money to keep alive. And I thought that was ridiculous. And that's when I really started doing my research. And I met Karen who had her charity, Karen Talbot. And, um, we started speaking and I found her fascinating and she had a ton of energy and she was saving dogs on, like taking out credit cards to save dogs and was spending her entire life just helping animals doing it on her own dime and not getting paid. And I'm like, this is, this is a woman who's, who's a pioneer, a, a true warrior. And I wanted to help her. And then that's, that's when we started animal aid USA. And again, since 2012, we've, we've saved over 34,000 dogs and um, no one in my organization gets paid. Everyone does it because they love animals and it's, it's hundred percent not for profit, no salaries, et cetera. And it's just, we, we survived by, you know, people donating to us and wanting to make a difference. And it's, uh, and it's, it's made a lot of difference in many people's lives because we get uh, messages almost daily of dogs that we've helped save that not only, uh, you know, people were, were excited to, to save these dogs, but these dogs have changed their, their lives. And um, knowing that we made a difference is, you know, is really rewarding for us.
1: How many dogs do you have currently, Lorenzo? Do you just have one, or do you have more than one?
0: No, I just have one, Tina Turner. And
1: Tina Turner. And what yeah. type of dog is she?
0: She's a Woodle, which is a a a, a, a Wheaton and Poodle
1: mix. Oh, how sweet! I want to say too that I remember um, from us uh, talking years ago that you told me a story about um, you know being a prince for a princess for a girl who was not doing well and had sort of some sort of physical ailment, I think through the make a wish of foundation and you just have such a big heart. And I think that's so amazing. I know that in addition to the animal aid, you just do so many things out there and it's wonderful to always hear all the things you're doing in terms of making a change in the world. And I think that we can all do that big or small. And I love that you do it big. Really. It's fantastic. Well, Um,
0: yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you.
1: Finally, um, what's the best advice you've ever been given about life and
0: success? Uh, My grandmother used to always say it's all about timing. Timing is everything. And I really believe it. Um, You just have to be patient. You have to work hard. And um, whatever you do in time, whatever you want, you can get. But everything takes time. So that was probably the best advice I've, I've gotten from my family.
1: That is so amazing, Lorenzo, and so true. Um, thank you for sharing your time. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. It's been lovely to have you, and I wish you a very fantastic day.